0: Won't you join me? Light up the sky.
1: hello everyone and welcome to that old gay classic cinema. I have my guest, I have my unofficial co-host Nate with me and we have also our guest from the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, Andrew Rimby along with us today. Nate, hello.
0: Hello everyone and all of you out there listening in the dark. Um... Welcome. this is our first episode, and it's it's very exciting and I think we have a good film that we're gonna start off with. and thank you, Andrew for joining us as well.
2: Yeah, of course. I'm so excited. Congratulations, you two. congratulations, Chris, Nate. I love <clears throat> this whole concept of um, <clears throat> excuse me, of that old gay cinema and um I'm so excited to talk all things sound to music so, Yeah, can't wait for this. Perfect. Well,
1: I wanted to bring up the point, um, the first point of our little note section that we have here, um, starting off with a question for everyone. Um, So what made everyone fall in love with classic cinema? Nate, would you like to go first?
0: Of course. I think what got me into cinema, I've just always been into movies, like ever since I was a little kid, Um, they were kind of my bread and butter, how I spent a lot of my time was watching movies. Um, Started off with Disney movies and kind of segued into just other movies from there. I feel like my movie taste was very drawn from whatever my family was watching. So whether it would be my older brother, my parents, my grandparents, like that was just what kind of got me into it. Um, And I feel like old, like when we're talking about classic movies, like, that has just always been part of the rep- repertoire. Like, that was always what I was watching anyway. So I don't really have, like, a a set, like, start time where I started watching classic movies. They just always have kind of been interwoven in, um, and Sound of Music specifically has pretty much always been in the repertoire. Um, my cousins and I joked that when we were visiting her or like when we would be in her basement there were two vhs's that we could watch and it was the muppet's christmas carol or the sound of music so this goes way back for me so i'm really excited to get to talk about it today um how about you chris tell us about how you got into cinema
1: oh goodness well um i'd say it would have to be the first time that i watched the wizard of oz along with its behind the scenes making of documentary hosted by angela lansbury r.i.p Um, that was actually when I first learned more about Judy Garland, when we saw her sing Swing Mr. Mendelssohn and Everybody Sing. Um, that kind of made me and made me want to know more about her and see her impact on the world. And another part of me also discovered it when I discovered a TCM, quote unquote, uh, Turner Classic Movies. And I saw two, two films that changed me. One of them was Meet Me in St. Louis. And the other one was Marie Antoinette, the 1938 version starring Norma Shearer and uh, Tyrone Power. Um, so much in those films led me down more Robert holes than I could ever imagine. I guess... TCM is the memory. gateway drug. It is. It is. It is. Um, having that sort of um, escapism and just being able to just be immersed in those films, kind of just being in the world of black and white and just wishing that I could see it in color, but also having a clear sight of what was made during those times is something to be preserved rather than discarded. So, you know, which is why I I came up with this podcast to help other people um, become more aware of these films and to bring a certain queer light to them. So... So, to speak. (laughs) Andrew, what about you?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think what I love so much about being invited for The Sound of Music is when I think classic cinema, I fell in love with movie musicals first, if it comes to classic cinema. Uh, So, I'm like you, Chris. I love The Wizard of Oz. That was one of my favorite movie musicals. Um, I really liked. Um, Snow White live at Radio City Music Hall. If you know, that's like a deep dive of, you know, Snow White. Um, but loved the Rodgers and Hammerstein movie musicals. Um, I really liked just anything with big dance numbers. Um, always loved the TV movie musicals like Cinderella with Leslie Ann Warren. Then eventually I saw the Julie Andrews, um, Loved fairy tale theater, which isn't like classic cinema, but the retellings, yes, of fairy tales with Shelley Duvall. I will. Um, I yeah. have but the I was- entire DVD collection of that. So. Oh, it's incredible! Yeah. Yes, but I wasn't really. I would never say I was a Disney cinema person necessarily, um, like in terms of cartoons. So that's why I really love live action type classic cinema. I'm more for that when it comes to movie musicals. So yeah, but then I also um, was in theater, was in musical theater, performed in the Sound of Music. Um, I'm wearing my touring Sound of Music hat from the early 2000s when I saw it in Philadelphia. So yeah, the Sound of Music has always been kind of something I've referenced in my life. Like I always remember it from my childhood definitely
0: what role did you uh, play in sound of music andrew
2: um i played captain von trapp yeah Perfect. yeah you're looking awesome. at gay work
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. I've speaking always... of gay classic cinema <laughs> speaking of that i've always wanted to go to the sing-along sound of music i, I wish they would bring that to new york city that would be amazing For them to do is for them to just put it on Central Park and just have like a big thing. They used to do that um, years ago, but I don't know if they would ever bring that back
2: um, or if if they're still going to do that in the movie. That would be so fun. I know they do that with The Wizard of Oz. Yes. But maybe they could make it more immersive like the Rocky Horror show. Uh, You know, maybe there could be moments in The Sound of Music that are interactive. I'm not sure. Oh, believe me, we have do. many
1: things to discuss that will, be ro- that will be very Rocky Horror-esque.
2: Mm-hmm. That's true, I'm sure. Some hot takes. <laughs>
1: yes, a lot of hot takes. We're all in the hot yeah. seat tonight.
2: <laughs> well, I'm ready for whatever you want to throw me. <laughs> exactly.
0: And I think... um this is going to be interesting to talk about because, again, like, we're, we're looking at this movie kind of through a queer lens and looking at it, like, as um, adult queer people watching this movie. Like, we've grown up with it. We've seen it. So, like, kind of just, like, looking back on it and revisiting it through this lens. Um, and presencing, like, obviously, like, yes, this is a story based on people's experiences. We are talking specifically about the fictional, fictionalized characters. So... When we're mm-hmm. saying Maria, we're talking about Maria as she is in Sound of Music, not necessarily the real mm-hmm. Maria Von Trapp, just so everyone <laughs> knows where we're coming from and not trying to add any additional accounts to the real <laughs> Von Trapp family.
1: Right. Um so um, does anyone want to start um with um with our notes? Because I, I I put them all together um, today. Um, Nathaniel, do you want to go through, um, your, um, campy queer moments that you saw, um, in the film?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I think it's best to start at the beginning, and I think something that we all picked up on is just that opening sequence where you're seeing the Alps and Salzburg from the air and, all of a sudden we're just swooping in and there's Julie Andrews just walking up the mountain and then she just starts twirling. Um, And we know that that took so many takes because they're flying in a helicopter trying to catch the shot. This is the age before the drones. So she's like getting knocked over and having to get back up again. So, But I think just that twirling is just, it's like, it's iconic. And I think it's just something that's so, when you're looking back on it, just something very campy, just very, like, it's been parodied so many times, and I think that's just, like, the thing that, like, a little kid sees, and then they just are imitating it themselves. Um, but what are y'all's thoughts on kind of that opening shot? Like, what are, like, what's your perspective on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Nate. I think that there's such an optimism and I forgot there was like rewatching this film. Um, I haven't watched it in full since I was in the musical, which was 13 years ago. So it's been a while. Like I remember clips very well, but I usually don't rewatch films in their entirety. If it's not something work related or something like I'm immediately, like most of my new viewing is contemporary. So I'll tend to just watch Whatever's out there on the streaming services, so it was exciting to see that opening with all the Alps. And I forgot there there's almost this orchestra warm up, and you kind of hear. Um, it was the bird. As that, if you
1: could hear the bird yeah. at it start. That was how I I believe that's how Robert Rice wanted yeah. to start the scene. You hear like the wind whistling, and then the bird, and then you hear after the bird um, starts tweeting, and that's when he that's when he asked the conductor Erwin Kostel who is. A genius with score and we will get to that later because the whole score of this film is just magical and amazing um but you as you as you said yes the that whole opening shot is just mesmerizing
2: um yeah yeah and i think there's definitely is something very m- mirthful gay in the sense of just delight and happiness of Maria's empowerment, and I'm kind of really curious about that, like with you know talking with both of you, because I still am trying to figure out if I'm a fan of Maria's or if I'm annoyed by her optimism, because I'm kind of like I love right? you can love the film, but i there are moments in the sound of music where I understand why Rogers and Hammerstein got the critique of. Being so sappy. And, um, and I know Julie Andrews had to deal with that. Like in her memoir, Homework, she talks about this image of how many people thought she was this perfectionist and always full of optimism. Like she had to work against that trait. And um, yeah, so yeah. and I think that's also right. Why um, Christopher Plummer declined the film so many times is because he was getting annoyed with. The emphasis of romance that it didn't seem very plausible. A and lot it did of it caused
0: like friction, but I think it caused friction, but I think it was one sided friction realistically between him and Julie while yeah. dur- during the film. Like he's gone on record saying, like, while they were filming, he was actually kind of annoyed by her. And I think he called her Ms. Disney um, behind her back um, in the trivia. Um, but there is that optimism. And I think that's like in this opening shot, there's that free spirited nature that is there. And I liked what you said, Andrew, of just kind of like it's her empowerment. And it makes me just think about like how as like queer people, like we have to find those zones where we can kind of be our authentic selves, um, where it kind of is that separate space from our day to day. And for Maria, it is. The hills like it's the Alps and it's she goes up there to be herself she sings openly she does what she wants she does she's not worried about her her prayers and her chores she's just up there and it's just freeing and I think again like that's an important thing in a queer person's experience of just having that space to be your complete authentic self no judgments or no holds barred. So I think that's a, I think I really like you bringing up that point.
2: Well, and I think also her exuberance is kind of all of the twirling around. I like that campy imagery you brought to it, Nate and Chris. Um I also think that we're kind of expected to already t- um see just like queer people like lgbtq people nowadays like who would look to maria for her optimism that um there's going to be obstacles against her energy and her excitement that they're like she is is she too happy um you know why is she so optimistic and that seems like a very queer experience that she's trying to work through trauma and that is something that i rewatching it i realized oh she had a really we don't get a lot about her childhood except that it was really awful and we don't know what happened so she she faced a lot of difficulties as an orphan or there's kind of hints of her being an orphan um but we don't really know yeah cuz she doesn't the have trauma. any family
0: to speak of like von, like mm-hmm. captain von trapp asked her to marry him and he's like oh who should i ask to marry you like who should i ask and she's like oh let's ask the kids and it's like no mention of like oh let's go talk to my dad or let's go talk to my mom or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a cousin it's like no let's just ask the kids i have no one in the world
2: so she's such an outsider and yeah, that comes through from the beginning yeah Yeah. of how outside she's literally by herself in the alps on a hill i mean there's not any further outside you can get than that
0: Exactly. And I, that ties into a theory that I'll share later on of like, I, why I think the film kind of endures and kind of how that Mm. optimism ties in. So, um, but yeah, so I, after we are seeing her in the hills, she's singing, she's twirling, she's living her best life. We then go to, um, the convent, the nuns. The other very campy queer aspect of this film that i notice is just how much shade is not present just in this scene but literally throughout the entire movie yes um people act like it's like this like very like i don't know like they act like there's like it's like so saccharine and so sickly sweet but they're also like moments where people are just like very subtly nasty to each other and like The nuns are, like, talking about Maria behind her back. Like, they're pointing out all these issues that they have with her. I also felt that there's, like, a homophobia scale between the nuns. So, on the far end, you have Sister Berna, who is a complete hater. Total ho- like, absolutely would be a homophobe. No, like, no allyship in her. She's just nasty right from the get-go. And then, on the other hand, you have Sister Margarita, who's just, like, she makes me laugh. True ally. Like- Wonderful. She would totally be there. She's she's marching in the gay pride parades, you know what?
1: Funny enough though, in the end of the film, you could see Sister Bertha just um redeem herself in a way. Yes. So she's like taking a yes. yes. time, and... like unlocking the gate, like, okay, like you know you're not gonna find them, but good luck.
2: <laughs> yeah, and like one of the haters too is the one who um uh destroys the engine or like cuts one of the parts away of the car from the um, uh-huh. well the Nazis. They they the both now... did.
1: They both both mm-hmm. of them
2: did. They're like, yeah, we sinned. See? That's so they kind of around.
0: Sister Margareta just bring them over, Bringing them exactly. over and She's leading the allies <laughs> up.
2: She's buttoning Yeah. Yeah, but like what is that problem with Maria? Because I it's there's so much criticism directed towards Maria, and I'm thinking, you know. Why is she so against the norm? Like, what is, is it because she's just not aligning to being what a nun is supposed to be? Is it her lifestyle? Like, yeah, there's, she's the problem child, but it seems so queer of her being cast as this outsider. I still, yeah, I agree, Nate. I think there's so much in that song, Maria.
0: Well, and also it's like, they say all of these things and they kind of like tiptoe around her, but isn't that kind of like what also queer people experience from like non-queer people is sort of, they find every way to sort of talk about it without actually talking about it. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like, oh, they're flamboyant or they're like, there's always like another word (laughs) to sort of avoid having to say the word. Queer or gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans, whatever. Like, it's like there's like this like cover up and they really don't want to say it. And I feel like it's that same thing. Like, it's very much behind her back and in a very roundabout way. um But yeah, Andrew, I would say it's, I think it really is just rooted in that she's just not conforming to what they expect of her. They expect her to be quiet. They expect her to do her chores, to be penitent, to be, mm-hmm. um, responsible to be reliable and she's just she has a lot of admirable traits that they also talk about those admirable traits don't shine through in an abbey though
2: yeah well she's a will will of the wisp uh almost airheaded um ditzy again you're right though like a queer person i mean i've heard some will say oh that person is so energetic or Um, they are always happy and it does, I would be interested, how much is that directed towards LGBTQ people? I'm sure a lot of the time they're not, um, and you're, there's other ways around that homo, the homophobic language doesn't have to be a slur directly. And I think that's so important. Yeah. I mean, that's such an interesting read of Maria of the song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well,
0: so I know Chris has thoughts on I Have Confidence, and that's kind of like the next scene of the segue. So yes. I'm going to turn it over to Chris for that.
1: Yes. Well, I actually wanted to bring up a point. Um, while we were talking about um, the nuns, um, that whole sequence, um, I wanted to take a moment and come back to, to a scene that I wanted to a little, little bit talk about for like a minute or two um, for um, the scene between the Reverend Mother and Maria. Um, and see how I can feel, how can, yeah, so how it can be transported, transplanted into queer identity. So that you can see within that I can be uh, kind of a scene of a, a push and pull situation. Um, what I mean by that is that throughout the scene, the Reverend Mother is explaining to Maria about the Von Schopp family. And throughout it, you can see that Maria, Julie, is experiencing so many emotions at this, at this whole scene. Um, the, one of them is feeling of abandonment, um, being pushed out of the, of the nunnery, the convent, um, the force of moving into a new environment, moving out into a new environment, um, which can be all in all scary, especially for someone in the queer community. It's one that we know very well. Um, yeah, I just wanted to put my two cents in there. Um, yes, Nate, thank you for reminding me about that. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite songs in the whole entire film, which is I Have Confidence. Um, so here are my notes. You guys are more than welcome to speak um, your mind um, as to what moved you throughout the scene, what, any, anything that you have on it. Um, so throughout this entire scene, it can be so transformative, transformative and mirrors so much of what our community goes through. Each time we're faced with an impossible task, we can find it within ourselves to overcome it and be as tough as we can. I mean, I honestly love the message throughout this whole song. It's definitely on my motivational playlist whenever I need a boost. Um, Does anyone else have any thoughts about this scene? Um, Oh, one more thing is that um, there's one little quick moment I'm sure you guys might have noticed it throughout all the behind the scenes videos or making ofs of this film. But you, there's a moment when Maria is walking through this archway. Julie Andrews is walking through this archway and you can, you can see there's three women in the background. The, those three women, one of them is actually the real Maria Von Trapp. She was able to be in a part of that film and she actually crashed the set of the film. And she spoke to Christopher Plummer and she was like, oh my God, you're more handsome than my husband. Like
2: That is funny. Oh, wow. that's funny Um, but no i agree
0: Um, i i have confidence is definitely a song that like i play like whenever i need to get like kind of ramped up or whatever it's like it just puts me in the mood and lets me know like you know what i'm ready for whatever this new obstacle is and i agree it's this it's this feeling of having to go into something and sort of like convince yourself that like yes i can adapt to whatever this situation calls for and i will be able to survive it um, so that definitely is yeah. a that stands out to me.
2: Yeah, I think it's so interesting of what music was added. Like this is something where Oscar Hammerstein had passed away nine months after the Broadway musical opened in 1959. So Richard Rodgers created "I Have Confidence" for the movie um, without Oscar Hammerstein, um, and it's it's such a transition moment, right? Of Maria recognizing that she can do this, right? There's this, I will face this the children. But then I noticed in the movie how symbolic gates are and barriers. It's like there's the gate to the mansion, yes. there's the gate to the cemetery at the end, there's the gate to the um abbey. Um, yeah, like there's always doors and gates. Like I feel like doors and gates are constantly being um evoked and shown symbolically as just obstacles to face with Maria the family the f- captain all of what's happening with World War 2 coming and there was one of the date um, which is when
1: uh Maria um, w- um the wedding scene that's another one oh of yeah her.
2: yes you're right and all the nuns are locked mm-hmm. out <laughs> which is interesting i guess we'll have to get into that but yes um, uh, cuz the wedding scene i noticed an error in the shooting um which happens but Um, I, yeah, I, it's so empowering, but I like the moment though, when she arrives at the gate and you can, I noticed Julie Andrews has this really lovely acting way where she puts her hand on her head a lot of, um, like, how am I going to get through this?
1: Every single singer, actress does this when they're mimicking Julie Andrews. You can see that, uh, uh, everyone who, who's like an imitator of these actresses, you can always see the, oh!
2: Yes, yes. And they'll also, like, do the scale that Julie Andrews does exactly. a lot. Um, yeah, Christine Petty's an imitate, um, an impersonator I know who will do the hand, the hand gesture on the head. But yeah, all of that to say is, I really like "I Have Confidence." I think it's mm-hmm. gives Maria more of an understanding of why she's going to be a governess, and that it's not just. Um, Uh, The mother, Ab is forcing her. That she's actually coming to it on her own uh, agency. So, yeah. But I love the fountain moment. I love her guitar. The guitar is such a great accessory with Maria and I Have Confidence. One of my favorite moments.
1: It's also a little bit reminiscent of uh, Mary Poppins in a way. I don't know if you noticed Mm -hmm. it, but she, both of them have carpet bags.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, and... Like as I was doing some research into, you know, our conversation, it was interesting that they chose um they chose Julie Andrews based on seeing raw footage of the sound of, um sorry of Mary Poppins before it was released. That like to think that these movies are two year like are just a year one, one year. year apart. Yeah. And it's yeah, funny enough apart. because
1: some um Mary Poppins wasn't released yet um, during that time when they were filming this kind of music. So when like there were breaks during filming, and there of course there were the occasional rain showers, um, everyone was brought into like this this barn or this shed if they were if they needed to like take a break, take a minute, and. While they were doing that, Julie performed um, "Super ex and the kids thought that the everyone thought, well, the kids especially thought that they were like that. This was like Julie's own made up song. They didn't know that it was a real song that she did in a oh. film. So they were really, I guess, amazed that that they once it was released that they were like, "Oh my god, you didn't make up that song."
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but oh, I just love. Oh, I love that moment with, um, I have confidence that where it's added, and I thought the movie does such a good job of actually adding um, the songs in a different order than the Broadway musical, because it makes more sense with this filming and the cinematography. I agree. Right? I mean, we're not into the, when we get into the songs, I can bring that up if you want. But um, a lot of it has to do with adding more moments with the children. That doesn't happen in the musical. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and I, I, I have confidence also just really works as like this. I feel like it's a good precursor to the I Want song. It's like it's setting the premise of like, this is what this yeah. is going to be about. This is my, it's a, it's Maria's journey. And it's a story about the family. But Maria's kind of the glue that kind of like has the storyline going through. So,
2: yeah. Um, yeah. And it's and- really. oh so, Well, and I was also going to say it's also not um wasn't common for the actual the lead to sing the opening song of a musical like you know to have the sound of music open so i feel like the sound of music isn't an, an it's not an i want song so you're right nate there has to be something to kind of bring us back to okay what does maria want mm-hmm. and i don't know and i was asking about that all the time when I watch this movie, I'm like, what does Maria want? I, I still don't know if I know what she wants, but yeah. that's very different. I'm sure it'll come up. Yeah.
0: But then, um, obviously, after I Have Confidence, we go into um, the scene where she actually meets the captain and the children. And there's a lot going on in that. The camping moments I pick up in that one. Um, just Christopher Plummer being the OG daddy. Like, he is, like, mm-hmm. he is fine, he is handsome, he is, hmm. Um, so throwing that out there. Um, and then, like, it's just these funny moments, like, she's meeting the kids, he's insulting her dress, and, like, iconic line, the poor didn't want this one, when <laughs> he's, he's like, I gave up all my worldly possessions, So he's like, well, where'd you get this? And she's like, oh, the poor didn't want this one. Um... <laughs> So again, just her being kind of in that moment. She's being very confident. She doesn't like shy away from that. She's just like, oh well, it is what it is. Like I'm accepting this. Um But yeah, no, it just is a it's a very interesting scene with everything that goes down. And obviously that very quick progression where she kind of wins the children over um mm-hmm. at the dinner. She doesn't like tell on them. She doesn't try to sell them out. So
1: she just plays a little bit of um reverse psychology on them
0: exactly so it's it just shows that she's she's smart she knows what she's doing so yeah but um i do want to be mindful of our time too and i want us to talk about um 16 going on 17 um because that is a very iconic scene
1: so the one thing i can say about um, it is choreography just that whole scene i cannot tell you how many times that i slowed the scene down and play acted it along with the film and just Aww. jumped up on countertops and just pretended to be Charmian Carr. And funny enough, I, I still could do that. But, you know, um, funny enough is that I did a little research and I found out that you don't see it in the actual filming film scene. She actually there was a moment when they were rehearsing the scene and she broke her ankle. She broke her leg um, oh. and she, re- she she had a, a little wrap around her leg on her um leg but you can't see it because editors cut it out so it's like <laughs> oh okay she always loved to like bring that up well, she actually passed away few years ago so um she wasn't yeah. able to um speak about it anymore but um yeah does anyone else have any um moments um with with that one scene in particular um that they wanted to bring up
2: i think i'm so drawn to the passion of the kiss, I don't. I, I noticed in this film, and maybe this is why it's on Disney Plus. It really is like, it's passionately romantic, but it's not sensual. Like, it's it's such an interesting. Like I don't I don't feel that um, there's going to be any bedroom romps. You know, I know this is the first episode, so I'm not sure. I don't curse usually anyway, but I don't know how explicit you're getting. So what? I'll just put it... Okay, well, I'll just put it lightly. Like, I don't really see that there's going to be rolling in the hay with any of these romantic couples. But just the scream that Liesl has after the song... is it's iconic. It's iconic, yeah. It's it's so orgasmic. I'm like, wow, you got that from one kiss? Wow. Damn, maybe that. Uh, maybe I just haven't had the right kiss. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, it would have it been, like, a,
0: a girl gaggle scream if she had been with, like, her girlfriends or whatever. Like, it would have been that, like, early 2000s. Like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Like, it would exactly. have been that
2: moment. Yeah, the blushing. But I do have to say, I don't know if you know the artist Thomas Finlan, but there's such this queer... The way Ralph always appears to me is this um, gay representation of... Like, a blonde, blue-eyed, I don't know. I I mean, of course, it has the Aryan uh, stereotype, and it's chock-full of Nazi imagery, which is awful. But at the same time, I also think it's a gay man's dream image. So, yeah, Ralph always kind of confuses me of who does he desire? Um, But maybe it also falls into, like, that daddy image, Nate, you have of the captain, which... Definitely, I've questioned the captain's sexuality, and I definitely question Ralph. Maybe a little more than the captain. Um, but yeah, what a good, oh, that song is so interesting.
0: So in my notes, I have that Ralph Rolf. Rolf is the original fuckboy toxic twink. Uh, <laughs> that is my conceptualization of him.
2: Oh um,
0: but I think there's a valid thing that you're saying is like, I think there's that like idealized image that kind of goes out there, like the blonde hair, blue eyed um type thing and like i don't know it's like re-watching it like it's supposed to be like this romantic thing but he is just condescending the whole way through oh my god um which i think like initially like when you watch it as a kid like it's surprising when he joins the nazis or whatever but then you listen to him talk as an adult and i'm like i'm not surprised at all like he is all about the conforming he is all Mm -hmm. about the like Liesel, you don't know anything. You're just a woman. You're young, or whatever. You don't know anything about the world. um
2: yeah. But he's just a year of, older than her. She's a right? year older. But I'm like, how do you know all this knowledge? <laughs> yes, it's yeah, um, it's so condescending and passive aggressive, which is
1: that whole scene. before they go into the gazebo, it's like, oh, you know, we're so ostracized. Ostr- uh, um, Lisa's like, yeah, well, we're so Austrian, and then Ralph's like, well, some people want us to be German, and they're angry that those who don't want to be. I'm like, really? You're just gonna base the fact off of a racial prejudicial man that just wants to invade your your country, your homeland, your town. It's you know, it's it's also really um, interesting how we can view that in a queer lens too. It's like someone who um, like what I mentioned before earlier this morning, um of how we could see Ralph as like a sort of stereotype bully in a way that that we feel like has mm-hmm. been like um uses us and then just throws us away once once he gets into a crowd he's like oh he's like a popular jock boy who you who you who who comes to you for for advice and for and for questions for like the for the for the quiz and then the next day like you he's with his he's he's with his friends and he's like oh i don't know that person like who who are you like this guy this person thinks i know them
0: Yeah. No, he's a, it's an interesting dynamic between him and Liesl. And like, I feel like there's a lot that you can get into it.
1: There's um, a lot. Yeah.
0: There's a lot. The other joke, uh, the other comment I have in my mind is that like when they're going over the telegram, I'm just like, Oh my God, Liesl is inventing Grinder before Grinder even exists. Um, yeah. let's, let's work out a perfect telegram message. Let's meet up in the, let's meet up in my backyard. I can host, um, i can help. she's just laying the groundwork truly a pioneer truly yeah. um and it's so and
2: secretive she, right which again yes. kind of clear. like all of this has to be secretive maria's desire has to in a way like she doesn't want to reveal her feelings with falling for the captain but he also doesn't want to reveal it yeah there's so much secretiveness with love desire longing um you know, I hope we get to the Baroness eventually, because I find in terms of queer campiness, the Baroness is a... Uh, oh, yes. Let's actually... have a lot going let's on. Switch,
0: let's switch over to the Baroness, because that's also kind of on my, like, yes. queer campy moments. And I just have yes. Baroness Trader like, literally everything about her. So uh, tell us your thoughts, Andrew. I'm very curious.
2: Yes, well, I was just going to say, like, I love that they still include parts of the Baroness's songs in the waltzes, like there's a song called how can love survive in the musical and they include it in the waltz, like right after the Baroness confronts, confronts that's strong, but talks to Maria in Maria's room and convinces Maria. Well, yeah, I mean, I think she definitely plants the seed that Maria loves the captain, but you know, she's invading her territory. Um, But I love that you can kind of hear how can love survive under that moment so it kind of enforces the baroness's motives but yeah the baroness is so queer in my opinion because uh she just has this almost villainous way like you think she's going to be a villain but then she surprises you in the end with kind of taking her control back by giving the captain a way out she <laughs> like, has dignity. You know, She's like, you're
0: not going to dump me. I'm letting you go. Yeah, I'm letting
2: you go do your thing so I can be with a rich husband or, you know, be a cougar and pay off a man with my money. So she's very, she never um, hides her intentions. And I appreciate that in her. Um, But, oh, yeah, she's... uh,
0: she almost reads it's like, like her- a drag queen, almost like just that, like very like. no so
2: performed, yeah. She's a yeah. performed person, and like that's what draws me to her. Yeah, mm-hmm. Andrew, um, yeah, I want yeah. to ask
1: a question. When you played Captain Von Trapp on stage, and you had your own Baroness on stage with you, did you um, go through any moments of like, okay? do you understand this character? How are you going to play her? What are you going to do? Like, did you, have you gone, did you go through any moments like that while you were um, preparing with your co, uh, with your um, co-actress
2: who worked with you? Yeah. I mean, I think that I would say that the Baroness to me and Max, that the captain on the, in the musical, in the musical version spends half the time with Max and the Baroness than he does also with Maria. So I find that with the Baroness, you have to develop a relationship of um, an exchange. Like the captain has his title. He has the same wealth as the Baroness. And then with Maria, it's almost, am I going to treat Maria when I'm acting as, um, that she's a child that I'm trying to... um, like, am I a dad to her? Yeah, it's it's a complex relationship, I think, with Maria and the captain when you're acting it out. Um, because you can easily just make her into this plaything, which can be really toxic. Um, but with the Baroness, I find a strong a strength when I was doing it. I really loved those moments. Especially I like the song No Way to Stop It, which shows a lot about the captain's you kind of see that when he tears. The um, Nazi, the Third Reich flag in the film, that's kind of when No Way to Stop It would have been in the musical. Um, But he has much more of a division with the Baroness in the musical than in the movie. Like, Mm -hmm. they get into a heated discussion that doesn't really play out. Like, here, I think they kind of give the Baroness... Her dignity, like you said, Nate, but in the musical version, she's clearly with the third Reich, like there's no denying that she's she's gonna do what is favorable um and she wants to keep her image up, which is you know awful that that's how she thinks she's gonna gain favor, but um, yeah, I don't know. I hope maybe that like got us into no, something
0: absolutely, and I appreciated like kind of you kind of bringing up that lens of like the baroness like being like again like could be very easily like queer coded or like kind of like there's a lot of like kind of that kind of like that subtext going on there um and it's interesting too because she knows what maria's feeling she knows how like her feelings for the captain and there's even almost like the experience like that a if not all, at least most queer people go through like that, almost that fear of being outed mm. um, before you're ready to actually come forth with that. And the Baroness mm. is sort of like holding that card. It's like, I know this thing about you. Um, and kind of like playing on that, that shame that goes along with it. Because Maria's response to her feelings is shame. Yeah. Um, she's like, no, I want to be a nun. Like, I can't love a man. Like, I can't have, like, a sexuality. Like, no, that's that can't be happening. And the bareness is almost like, if, again, if, like, there's that queer coding lens going on, it's almost like um, the queer person who, like, also is hostile towards other queer people.
2: Yeah. Um, like, just internalized, in the same way. Tom- internalized homophobia.
0: Absolutely. Because, again, yeah. it's sort of like, this is like, I mean, Maria does have, like, relationships with other grown women, in the film however like this is like one where it's like she's not helping her and like she's not like trying to lift maria up she's not trying to support her um really the only grown woman who really seems to fully support maria is the uh the mother abbess like that's like the only one so it just it's interesting it's interesting her relationship with the captain with maria um and I appreciate you bringing up the background with the musical Andrew because that that comes up for me later on and like some of the theories again of kind of the political tones that it ends up taking. So, mm. yes, uh, Chris, any yeah. thoughts about the Baroness? Anything that you'd like to share?
1: Oh goodness, um, I was actually rewatching the the scene yesterday um, that she goes up to confront Maria, and it's just you know it's it's kind of mirrors. Um, I believe it kind of mirrors how we look at ourselves um, when we're confronted with something that we don't understand. Like say that we have a crush on someone and then someone uses that to their advantage. Like, oh, like what you mentioned before. It's just so transformative throughout film, throughout this whole film is the the power of love and how um, it can even transcend even those who I don't know, They're not to sound so fair to tell us, but those who wish to foil you in its own way. So, you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So on that note, I think we're going to take a quick break. Yes. And uh, we'll be back to talk a little bit more about uh, the remainder of the film and kind of our theories on why it endures. Like, why is this the film that we're talking about in 2022? Um, so stick around for that.
2: Hi, I'm Andrew Rimby, the host of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, a public humanities podcast where I interview writers, scholars, performers, and artists. Episodes air on Mondays. And I'm married to Pippi, host of True Crime in Academia, an Ivory Tower Boiler Room podcast. True Crime in Academia is a true crime podcast focused on crimes committed by or to those in academia. Episodes air on Tuesdays. Make sure you follow Ivory Tower Boiler Room and True Crime in Academia on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter. Become a subscriber to get unedited video interviews and our merchandise at patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. When you're listening to our podcast episodes, imagine that you're in a cafe eavesdropping on our conversations. Enjoy.
1: And welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We're back again with Nate and Andrew to discuss The Sound of Music and how it holds with queer cinema history.
0: Awesome. So obviously before the break, we were talking a little bit about the, que- the queer reading, campy moments um, in the film. Because again, like this isn't a film that's necessarily made by queer people for queer people. This is just sort of a film that has resonated a lot with... Queer people, like whether you see it again, like whether it's like the Will and Grace episode where they're trying to go to a sing along in New York, and there's a whole plot with that or whatever. Just like again, just the fact that a lot of queer people have seemed to have seen this movie. Um, but yeah, but it's an interesting note because a lot of these moments are happening, um, in the early part of the film where it's kind of setting up the relationship with uh, Maria and the captain and the children, and then like. Because we also have the presence that, like, this whole, like, later part of the film then transitions into more of the serious and very real threat of the Nazi invasion of Austria. Um, So Mm -hmm. the campiness obviously goes way down and all of a sudden becomes a very serious film. So we are going to have a discussion about that. But before we get into that, um, let's talk about some of our favorite songs and scenes in the movie. Um, We've talked, we've highlighted some already, but there are also some ones that we want to presence a little bit more. So uh, Andrew, why don't you get us started with it? What is uh, your favorite song, favorite scene in this film?
2: Yeah. I mean, my favorite song is definitely, um, well, I would say it's more the scene and the song is wonderful, but I love the lonely goat herd and I really like the puppetry. I think that's what does it for me. Um And there is some really interesting puppetry, um, almost drag kind of moments with how the one, I forget if she's like the young go-herd and she's trying to woo the man and she has like all this lipstick and she has... Like, a big chest? I'm like, what is going on here? Um, And But I love how Julie Andrews acts it out with the children. Like, the children do such a good job acting all of that out. And the audience reaction with the captain and the Baroness and Max. So wonderful. I love it. I think it really shows... Oh, yeah, I know what happens. It kind of mimics the Baroness's... This triangle relationship between the baroness the captain and maria with the go song that um maria's stuck in the middle and i like how it all mimics their real life through the fairy taleish elements that are happening so yeah that's probably if i had to choose one scene that would be the scene that i always like to return to
0: and that's a beautiful way to have have taken that from the stage and put it into a film mm-hmm. because, like, I think you even see it with like Sound of Music Live. Like, they kept like the original song order, and so like they're singing it during the thunderstorm, and it just seems like a very weird mm-hmm. place for it when you sort of see the movie. And it like I thought it was just brilliant how they transitioned it. And I know it's like, oh, we got a puppet theater, let's put on a show. But like, I don't know. I think it's a fun way to do it. So I I think that's an interesting scene as well.
2: Yeah, well, Um, and Richard Rogers had so much input, which doesn't happen, right? Like, you don't always have a Broadway music composer or a a team who is really involved with the movie musical. I mean, um, like, sometimes they've passed away, which happens, and they can't give input. So I think Richard Rogers was really, from what I remember with the behind the scenes, he was so involved with the placing and okay, this is probably going to work better. And my favorite things, I mean, that's my second favorite, but you know, I love that it happens during the thunderstorm. It makes so much more sense because my favorite things happens with the mother, Abyss, in the musical with Maria. And it it just doesn't have- It just feels out of place. It does. It it doesn't have the heart and the, which is hard for when you have to perform the musical version because the audience knows the movie so well. So you're kind of working against- expectation um well that's a whole other we'll <laughs> also say thing the movie.
0: as yeah. a mental health professional the whole theming of my favorite things during the thunderstorm totally holds up it's a form of grounding thinking of your favorite things when you are in a very high stress situation can make you feel Good. better than before so here we are <laughs> my favorite things scientifically backed i'm endorsing it now so <laughs> Uh, Chris, tell us your favorite scene and or song in the,
1: uh, in the film. My favorite song well it's a tie between "Favorite Songs." It, it, it's, it's a it's a tie between "Dear Me" and "My Favorite Things." Your prize, um, and my favorite scene has to be the wedding scene, um, for various reasons. Um, so both of those songs held, hold such a close emotional tie to me growing up as a kid. Um. Every day in, in grade school, I would always bring my portable CD player. And each time I would leave the bus, get off the bus on my after school program to get to my after school program, I always had time the moment that I left the bus to the end portion of Dory Mina. I just, as I opened those doors, that the first, the last notes that I would hear would be Julie Andrews' high notes as I opened the door. So that's the last thing that I hear as I walk into this hell on earth is what i called it growing up <laughs> um um and for the for my second favorite song for my favorite things um reprise it's just another favorite song because not, not only do we get julie's lustrous tones seeping into the song which is just a little bit of a angel um, beneath her wings, beneath these children's wings. it's um, We get the most warmest and the most unconditional love experience on film that, that's ever been captured on film, yeah. which I think really resonates with a lot of people who are dealing with these situations of feeling depressed, feeling rejected, feeling that they don't feel accepted between their parents, and then you have someone who is an ally for them, which I believe Maria is a complete ally for the LGBTQ community. Um, mm-hmm. Now on to because my favorite scene is the wedding scene. So let me tell you the amount of times that I play out this scene growing up as a kid. Um, Mom, if you're listening, you're going to get a little tidbit of what I used to do when you weren't at home. So. <laughs> whatever. No one was at home. I used to always find the longest blanket that I could find. And I would wrap it around my waist and um, walk around the entire house, the kitchen, the living room, and then end up in the in the downstairs um, uh, playroom and just play out the hell out of that scene. It's just, you know, starting with Maria getting her veil on, and then I walk down these steps, and it's like, oh, okay, then I walk upstairs. It's just this whole thing of, like, of um, just this sense of acceptance throughout this whole thing, and like you said, gates, um, throughout this whole motif of the film. There's there's that gate scene, when we see like a gate um, not allowing Maria to enter, the mother abbess has to allow her to enter, which I think is a magical moment for for not only Maria, but also for the LGBT, because you have someone who is an ally in this relationship, who is supportive of this relationship from the get-go. You have someone who is willing to just bring these two together in such an unexpected way is just magical. It resonates with not only straight people, but also um, members of the LGBTQ plus community as well. And that was my most embarrassing moment that I've ever revealed about myself. So consider yourselves lucky. Sorry, mom. All
2: <laughs> well, of
0: Chris's mom is listening. I guess she can just be thankful that you weren't cutting up her curtains and oh, making no. that into a dress.
1: No, so, that could have, that
0: could have been <laughs> what you walked away with from that film. Yeah. Is curtains make fabulous clothing. Oh it's my true. God. That whole, yeah.
1: that little part of the reprises my, is amazing. It's just. It's also, how
0: how campy is it that literally she's walking down the aisle to people singing their shady song about her? Yes. in the background,
2: singing
1: about uh, well, her, singing.
0: Still a problem. Exactly. It's still a problem. Um, I love it. I really do. But
1: it's funny. We could we could see that as a stepping stone. Like, hey, you may think those things about me, but I am not. Those things. I have come further than anyone else has. So,
2: there.
0: Guess who's (laughs) marrying the rich captain? It's me.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, there is something. I mean, it's not that (laughs) pivotal, but I did notice that we have the huge crowd of the wedding, the audience, but there's like a moment where you only at the beginning see, um, the small family gathered, but then it like pans to the large crowd. And I'm thinking, okay, there might've been, um, they might not have decided which shot to use. So maybe they got, um, I like the intimacy more actually than the huge crowd. I think, um, I don't know if Marie and the captain, I don't think the captain would want a huge audience like that, but all of that to say is I really wish the nuns were there in the pews. And I'm not sure why they're not. Um, I was thinking, are they not allowed to sit at a wedding? I don't know. Maybe someone out there who's like an expert in convents. If you're an Maybe. expert
0: in the catechism, please, please yes, let sorry. us know. Please
2: call us at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. You can give your number, Chris. I give my um, number. Yes. But, just, I'll, yeah, get, I'll, but get, I'll just, I'll get
1: the inside information. I'll
2: let you know what I find. Yeah. But I just think music is so. Right. I mean, it's called The Sound of Music, and which is interesting because music already implies sound. Right. So it's almost like you're repeating this idea about noise and that auditory experience. And uh, it's just so queer. Like, to me, that's queer is just the title, which is why we, like you said, you play acted that wedding scene. I mean, I used to play act Guys and Dolls, and I don't know if you know the song Take Back Your Mink, which is all adelaide song when she's like in a vaudeville burlesque number and i would dress in my mom's nightgown and high heels and like dance on the coffee table and but music isn't music that's such a queer empowering um idea we turn to music to work through whether it be bullies you faced chris or i'm sure nate you've had music it it gets us going if it's a workout i mean any kind of mood we want to go into a different type of feeling in our day. We turn to music usually. Um so yeah, I think for me that is the heart of the queerness has to be the music. Well idea. also I I
0: don't think it's I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of like gay icons, like a lot of them are musicians mm-hmm. or like have some sort of connection with music. Like yes, obviously you have gay icons who are maybe just writers or just actors and never did anything musical. But there is a lot of like musical like influence within the queer community um you can actually see that
1: um with lady gaga's performance when she did that medley back in 2015 um at the i believe that was the academy awards for the one of the anniversary i don't remember which one it was um i think it was for
0: the 50th i think it was the 50th
1: oh my god yep that's probably what it was and then you had julie andrews come on stage after her and i just balled out cried after that
2: moment yeah. but, but how you know, about that beautiful moment <laughs> sorry when like Julie Andrews was the did you have you all seen when the children surprised Julie Andrews I think was that for her lifetime achievement yes that was or, actually a yes. few
1: months ago yes that that whole so that whole scene of Do- oh my god yes yeah. that made me tear yeah. up like I'm not crying you're crying
2: <laughs> yeah, Julie Andrews is such a like if you're listening Julie um, we love but you. But also, her daughter Emma. Her daughter actually teaches at Stony Brook, where I teach. But Emma Walton Hamilton, such her be- Julie has such a beautiful heart. I mean, yeah. she she's such an LGBTQ ally too. You so. know what's funny? Is that I actually met
1: her um, when she was promoting her second memoir, um, Homework. I believe it was twenty nineteen. Was she was she did a um, a book tour. Um, and it was at this, um, Jewish center in the city. Um, and Mm -hmm. I was, I was luckily able to go meet her and see her and they did a Q and a, we were able, everyone, everyone who was, who was able to get tickets and we sat down and then we, um, we were able to write down questions for her to to answer. So I asked one of my newfound friends to write it out for me because i was shaking i was trembling like can you write this for me i have it written down here on my phone you could just like okay which one and she actually julie actually answered one of them for me and we actually sat in the second row and once i heard emma call my name she's like well christian has a question i'm like what that's my name that's that's no one that's um one of my questions was who would she would have like would who would she like to work with rather that she hadn't worked with either dead or alive in her, in her career. Mm. And then she goes to the audience and she, she's just so amazing. She goes, well, what do you, who do you think I should have worked with? And she, <laughs> she's just so amazing and so just caring. And there was a little boy who um, spoke up more often than he should have, but he, she was just very um, open towards him and she was like, oh really? Well, that's a good idea. That's that's pretty good. Um it was just an amazing experience to just um be there in her presence and just see the amount of people that were there for her, for her. It was mm-hmm. just amazing how much work she has done and how much she has not only not only inspired everyone, but how much she she um matters to the LGBTQ community with with, with the work that she's done, whether it be her albums or her concerts or her films or her mm-hmm. audiobooks, whatever, whatever there is, even her, even her future project that she has out on the horizon, Julie Andrews is an icon and deserves to be wrapped up in plastic bubble.
0: Well, and to kind of, kind of bridge these two sections of going in from like the scenes and the songs into kind of like why, why I think the film endures, mm-hmm. um, especially kind of for queer people is specifically because Julie Andrews. Um, Mm -hmm. and here is why. And I don't know if this is Julie or if it is the character of Maria, but you really do have Julie being this quintessential maternal safe figure Mm. who, at least in this film, um, She really brings that no judgment. She never talks down to any of the children. She never makes them feel bad about things that they're doing. She doesn't even shame Liesl. Like, when Liesl's coming in soaked from the rain. Like, again, she could have... And she was like, well, were you walking by yourself? And, like, it's almost like this concern. It's not, I'm going to judge you. It's like, are you safe? Are you okay? Um... And I think that's something that, like, queer people, like, they are searching for, typically, Mm. are those safe people to have in their life. Exactly. Um, and Maria kind of is, at least Julie Andrews as Maria, I'll say it like that, Julie Andrews as Maria really provides that in this film. The person that you can sit down and talk to about how you're feeling, um, and really doesn't try to put anything onto you, um. So when we're talking about her as an icon, like, I do think she's a big reason why this film Mm. continues to endure, especially for, uh, the queer community. Um, and then kind of tying it back into a scene or song that means a lot to me is I really do enjoy, um, Climb Every Mountain. Um, especially as an adult. Like, that, like, that sequence and that message with the song and the reprise as well, um, it just, I think it just is such an empowering song of, like, yes, like, there's going to be challenges. Like, this is not going to be an easy journey. There are going to be streams to overcome, mountains to climb, all these things. But you have to keep going. And it just ties into this theme of, um, you're looking for acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um this is, if you want to really boil it down, like part of a big part of this film is Maria's journey as a non conformist, um, longing for acceptance and longing for family. Um, she starts off thinking that the abbey, uh, the nuns, they're going to be her family. That's what she says in the beginning. She's like, This is my home. This is my family. And the mother abbess, like, she knows better. And she's like, No, this isn't your family because. They don't get you. They don't understand you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, again, like, there's, like, I think queer people, like, we have at least one or two people in our lives who are like that, who, like, knew before we knew, and kind of, like, put us on the right path, and, like, kind of helped guide us to where we needed to be. Um, And that's what Climb Every Mountain's about. It goes back to that message that the Mother Abbess has, is you have to... I want to get her wording right. Um, You have to look for your life. That's what Maria says that she says to her. And I think that is like the queer experience because your family is not always going to be the people that you were born to be around. Your family Mm -hmm. isn't always going to be that. If they are, that's great. And that's wonderful. Um, It's not always going to be that though. And that's okay, but you have to look for it. You have Mm -hmm. to look for that life that you want to live. Um, So, again, that just really speaks to the queer experience, and just encouraging this authenticity. Uh, Be yourself. Let's—again, we're just going to identify who we are and not be less than that. That's another line that Maria has when Max is sort of asking her, like, well, can you talk to the captain? And she's like, I can't ask him to be anything less than what he is total acceptance of who that person is and again that just really fits into julie's performance as maria so those are just some of the reasons why i think the film endures and why it mm. lasts um especially for queer folk but i want to hear your guys' thoughts i want to hear some of your theories about why you feel this film continues to have the impact that it does
2: yeah i mean i think that it's like, the film and the musical, like well, I mean, and the stage musical, are similar. I mean, Mary Martin also is a pretty queer icon, especially she was Maria on Broadway. But I think even more than Maria, um, I think that when she was Peter Pan on Broadway, she kind of really captured the queer community and the heart of not growing up. And, right, Peter Pan kind of has a similar idea of trying to find your family chosen family i love what you're saying nate about finding the alternative family and right the whole von trapp family has to even do that at the end when they're the captain decides that no they're not going to stay under austria's control like into they're not going to stay in austria when the third Reich comes in and claims it as their own like they're going to find a new place whether it's now in switzerland I think eventually if it's in America or England wherever they land um that they're going to have to find a new f- a new base a new family in a way they're always now traveling um and that's really a queer idea because there's such intensity right I think we forget that there's it's such an intense theme of you know Nazi occupied Austria is our theme but we also have all of these like that's where i think we return back to the beginning which is the heartfelt moments of maria and her twirling around on the hills we get back to the hills and the alps at the end with the family um their journey so i think that the optimism is what makes it so queer optimism and um finding your humanity and your family in the face of oppression. In my opinion, that's what makes this such a queer movie because it is really dark. Um, And that's where I think Rodgers and Hammerstein, they always did such a wonderful job with really intense themes Mm -hmm. couched in lighthearted songs. Like that's not an easy feat to do. And it's not really something we see in a lot of musicals now. It's usually either now really intense songs or we try to now have jukebox, you know, musicals with pop songs. So I, I I definitely think that it's a movie I always want to return to, to see that, okay, you can work through oppressive conditions like this. You can find new family. Oh, yeah, it's such a great Uh, piece of work to do that
0: Chris what are your thoughts I know that you have um, some thoughts especially about the song Edelweiss so (laughs) Um,
1: this whole film in general I believe it's just an amazing feat of what um, unconditional love can do for for a person and especially someone who is dealing with these um, trials and tribulations Um, growing up, um, I was bullied a lot, so I used music and, um, films to escape them. Um, so with this film, I was able to, um, feel myself be in the Alps with with Julie Andrews and just feel that sense of, you don't need to be alone. I'm here with you. Just listen to me and you will get through it. It is not the end. That's all that I had in my mind growing up as a kid. That's what got me through um, those rough times. Um, so. But the song Edelweiss, you could look at it, as I mentioned before, when we were um, um, messaging ourselves earlier, I just felt as I was re-watching the, the film, I feel that it's a sense of bridging together um, a community in a in a place of of fear. Throughout that whole festival scene, you could sense there is a deep rooted fear, especially opening up with that Dory Me reprise sequence. That's another little favorite point um, of my own, but I just wanted to bring that up for a quick moment because um, that whole festival sequence, especially opening up with that um, song is just, it comes full circle. In a way, I think um, you could see in the um, alcoves. You could see in the freaking um, aisles that these that there are Nazis pinned at every station point, and it's just you. You look up and there's a Nazi just staring at you right in the face, and it's just nerve wracking. It's scary and it's it, it's real for everyone there, and they had to portray that, and I believe they did it. Be- I believe that they did it beautifully.
0: Um, I feel like they were very sensitive mm-hmm. about the material because also like for context, the war had just ended 25 years before
1: exactly this
0: film came out. Exactly. So they were trying to be very cognizant of what this was going to be like making sure that the locals were going to be aware that like, yes, like, for the sake of filming, like we are going to have Nazi flags flying, like mm-hmm. we are, we have to have that for the background and actually checking in with the residents. Um, and it, I think another queer aspect of the film is specifically, um, Georg's reaction to the political nature of what's happening. He can't turn a blind eye because this does affect him. And he's actually like, he's surrounded by people who are just sort of disengaged. You have the baroness who never really seems to think anything of it. um, mm-hmm. Especially like you were saying, Andrew in the stage musical, like she's clearly in on it. Um, Max is just really dismissive about it. And his whole attitude, like he says this to the children of like, well, nowadays the thing to do is just to get along with everybody, kind of regardless of what's happening. And I think that's sort of, that's a message that queer people get a lot of the, just go along to get along. Like, is this really that big of a deal? Like, is there like, this person's not trying to intentionally hurt you, so why are you getting, like, why are you accusing them of, like, homophobia, transphobia, biphobia? Like, why are you, why are you so upset about this? Like, this really isn't a big, and it's like, well, no, it does mean something. It's like, I'm not going to just ignore it. Um, And kind of that's the boat that Georg's in. Um, he sort of refuses to turn a blind eye, and I think that's something as queer people that we really can't we also cannot turn a blind eye to things we are very we are paying very close attention to the political landscape um of what that's looking like and we have to be aware and be cognizant of those things because you never know when it is going to come for you um rolf says in the film like well some people believe that we should be german and you have to also sort of look at that and also be aware of the nazi ideology and it's like yeah but how long are they going to consider you german how long is it before they turn on you? How long is it before they decide you're not German enough because you were born over here? Mm -hmm. Um, you're part of this bloodline. Like, what does that mean? Um, so again, again, some, some more of the darker, I think more of like very real and very relevant. Also why I think the film endures, um, especially for queer people is like, there is that fear, um, that we can relate to and certainly different extents depending on like, again, other factors like race and class and, um, educational status. Like there's definitely different levels of fear, but the fear is there.
2: Yeah. And like, if we saw the original Broadway musical. I always find this so fascinating is that Theodore, uh, Bickel, um, was captain Von Trapp and he was Jewish And he was playing Captain Von Trapp, and I think that's like an even interesting. Actually, he was Jewish. He was Jewish from Austria, if I remember correctly. Oh, really? So, like that layer too of playing Captain Von Trapp is um, knowing you have to flee, Um, and even with Max, there's kind of some hints that Max is might be possibly Jewish. So like that could also be the reason why he is so scared to go against um you know go against the Nazi party. But yeah, that's right. There's so much like I mean, Chris, you said you see um the Nazis stationed in the festival and it's so frightening. But then there's this music that we associate as an audience with uplifting and empowering uh, humor with the children. And now we're thrown with all that music in some really distressing, dark times of something's coming that's going to be very dark. You could see um, it
1: um, in Christopher Homer's, Georg's eyes when, um, while they're singing Don't Me and then when he goes into Edelweiss, mm-hmm. it, you could see in his eyes that he's like, if we do something, if we mess up, then they're going to fucking blow us to smithereens like we can't mm-hmm. do anything that'll on the stage that will make them think that we are doing something illegal you know um mm-hmm. and, and that's once, the survival
0: mentality exactly. Absolutely. Survival. Yeah. yeah
2: um
1: it's just so poignant like when they bring up when when they do the when uh georg decides to bring up um edelweiss again at the uh festival mm-hmm. it just shows and then he he allows everyone else to join in. So it's also another, it's another song for a sense of community. Um, everyone mm-hmm. coming together for one thing. And then you could see the everyone else ah, to party, that's there, feeling a little like, yeah, great, have, have your fun now. But, you know, it's, it's very distressing and it's just, it brings about this sense of um, wanting to be accepted for being who you are. And I believe this whole scene is just terrifying and scary because if you look at it from a historic point of view, the amount of terror that was inflicted through, through this whole traumatic event in history, it's just,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it, it just is, I, I there's no words yeah. that, I, that I can describe. It's, it's just horrific. It's, but this film does, Allow people to not view those events happen, but it's just you could see it in in every performer's eyes like, okay, this is really happening.
2: yeah, mm-hmm. but the power of community and standing up for what's right mm-hmm. definitely is really present in the festival. and I think that's important that you highlighted that exactly and, thank you and, oh, yeah. Yeah. and
0: again, like i I think I've made it clear at this point. like I feel like the film really does hold up. Um, in this day and age, I feel like there's a lot of themes that are, there's a lot of themes to it that are just timeless and it is Mm -hmm. a film that you can continue to revisit. Um, and obviously like, it's not like, like there's no, like there is no perfect film and there is no anything like that, but it is a story that I feel like is worth revisiting, Uh, multiple times, just to sort of pick up on those messages, because it very much speaks to the human experience that there is going to be those light and optimistic times, and there are also going to be those truly terrifying times. There is that, that dialectic that's there that both things are true. You could have Maria and the children laughing, wearing curtains as clothes, and then falling off a boat into the river, and at the same time, literally in a different part of the country, or a different part of the world, like, there are literal Nazis. Um, Those are existing in the same world, and they are not separate. Um,
2: Yeah.
0: And again, I think it just holds up for, it as a universal film, but also just especially as a film um, for queer people to watch and
2: revisit absolutely mm-hmm. yeah
1: all right well um i guess that concludes our very first um episode i want to thank um andrew for coming along and being our guest um as we discuss this film and hopefully you can come back again um for more episodes yeah um yeah, let me know I will definitely um, and join fun. us next time. thank you and join us next month when we talk about Gone with the Wind we will
0: see you then
1: yes silver white winters that melt into spring my favorite thing is when the dog bites yeah. when the bee I'm stings free-out. when I'm, I'm feeling sad I simply
0: remember
1: my favorite